Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 375. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of FinTech Nexus. Before we get started, I want to tell you about a new event we are hosting in London on October 17th and 18th. Called Merge, it is focused on the intersection of traditional finance and Web3. Regardless of the price of crypto tokens, the technology being developed by Web3 startups has the potential to completely transform the financial system. Our event will be bringing together leaders from Web3, fintech, and traditional finance to discuss how this transformation will take place. Find out more and register at fintechnexus.com. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Dan Doney. He is the CEO and co-founder of Securrency. That's S-E-Currency or Securrency.com is the website. Wanted to get Dan on the show because Securrency is doing some super interesting work and I think important work. On their homepage, they will say, imagine a world of effortless compliance, borderless transactions and newfound financial fluidity. Now, you might think effortless compliance is an oxymoron, and if you listen to this a podcast through to the end, you will find that it is not so. You said that it's actually not that complex. It's not a difficult thing to kind of codify a lot of the compliance rules, and we're not just talking about US compliance rules. We're talking about multiple jurisdictions because they operate globally. We talk about the initial use case for their technology and how that's rolling out talk about some of the traditional banks that are backing them, and much more. It was a truly fascinating episode. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Hey, Peter. Pleasure. Okay, so looking at your background, I don't think I've ever had anyone on the show that's had quite the same background as you um, in uh, different intelligence operations, it seems like you function. So why don't you give the listeners some of the highlights of what you've done in your career? Yeah, so I uh, got several degrees, which are seemingly now irrelevant to <laughs> economics degree, control systems engineering degree, and then a graduate degree in nuclear engineering. All of that actually is deeply rooted in some of the things that we do. So it's a useful piece of background, but uh, that was way back in the day. Spent a number of years in the, the U.S. military in, in the Navy as a submarine officer. Pretty easy tour as I ended up teaching at the Naval Academy for a period of time to wrap up my time in the military. Got out of on exiting, started having children and left the Navy. Went to work for a startup. My undergraduate thesis was on the use of AI controllers for nuclear reactor control. So I'd done work in neural networks back in the, the day. And I began doing work in asset pricing models using neural nets. So I worked for a startup doing consulting, among other things, with companies like Marriott. Then 9-11 happened and I was recruited to the NSA to do things in artificial intelligence and worked there for the bulk of my career in advanced research with just some of the brightest minds, frankly, anywhere, working on really core problems on how we understand and value information. Again, deep challenges on natural language and knowledge itself. So that was a, a fantastic time for for me, I focused specifically on human machine systems and performance systems. After leaving the NSA, went to the Department of Homeland Security and worked, among other things, on identity systems there and in enterprise service delivery frameworks. I learned a lot 
about how you work with a coalition of many different parties to get systems that can communicate with each other. As the Department of Homeland Security is actually many different mini agencies that have to come together and have their systems work. Well, that's very true of the banking sector. And some of the work on identity actually turned out to be pivotal in our approach in the marketplace. We uh, was part of a team that won the Excellence to Government Award in 2012 on how you do identity proofing to allow citizens, U.S. persons, frankly, to access government-held privacy data. So you shouldn't be able to see my data and I shouldn't be able to see yours, but we should be able to see data that the government knows about us. So the way you have to do this is through identity proofing. Well, that's pretty important as it turns out in regulated transactions on blockchain networks. And so you can see how these things are sort of building. Well, that work in my career, I got a really cool chance to be the chief innovation officer at the Defense Intelligence Agency, was introduced to blockchain as a technology, among other really cool things. Mm-hmm. And then the founding story of a co-founder was uh, came with a challenge on leases. So there was a party who had lease rental income, but uh, needed to borrow against that rental income to avoid losing their assets. And there was no easy way to borrow against leasing revenue. So I had been working with blockchain, liked blockchain. And so I built a tool to actually take and tokenize leases and where you could bundle them together into a package and issue shares against that securitized package of, of leases that were dividend paying currencies. And that concept of a security that had the benefits of a currency and that it was easy to transact, but was dividend paying. We got a patent on that way back in the early days. And that security slash currency gave rise to the company's currency. Okay. So it's amalgamation of those two words then. Yes. So then that was kind of the impetus, I guess, to get going. But what was the broader problem you were trying to solve and where did you see the opportunity? So the broader problem was actually, how do you make illiquid things liquid? So there was a whole series of things that's required to make a lease is a thing which produces revenue, but you can't easily trade and transact with that form of value. So how do you take and convert that form of value into something that can be easily transacted with, transferred from one party to another or converted to another form of value? That is the essence of liquidity. So we set out to solve that problem. As I applied it to leases, we then found out it can apply to mortgages and it can apply to insurance policies. By the end of that summertime, I built a platform and I thought, well, geez, this could be KKR and Goldman Sachs and and AIG all in a box. I probably should form a company around this. So we did and then discovered what the real challenge was. So liquidity is, in fact, the core challenge across finance. Still to this day, for many assets, it remains a challenge. But in order to get liquidity, you must have compliance. In other words, if I'm going to easily and conveniently transact in forms of value, I must have compliance that follows that same pace. And that really meant being able to automate many aspects of compliance that others would have considered to be untouchable. And I built the tokenization platform in, frankly, just a couple months. I figured it would be easy for us to tackle the compliance problem. (laughs) And four years later, we finally had a solution, but it it took a lot of work to build out that core component. And then along the way, we found other key challenges. You can't have liquidity without an interoperability. You can't have liquidity without sufficient pricing, and that requires sufficient data. So all of these challenges come together into a repurposed capital markets where you really have efficient transactions at any level, everything from custody 
all the way up through trading services, asset management and issuance, and then brokerage functions, customer-facing elements. So we build out a very comprehensive core financial services infrastructure. Think of as there are many who do banking as a service. This is really capital markets as a service framework, leveraging blockchain as a core enabling service. Okay, so maybe I'd love to kind of get a sense of who is your end customer here and what are you actually doing for them? It turns out our customers, our target audience, are financial service providers, financial institutions who are looking to retool to the new digital age and need the kinds of services, comprehensive services that don't compromise on key principles of risk management, compliance, et cetera. We recognize to be able to bring these assets to market, we needed this comprehensive framework associated with compliance, et cetera, et cetera. Most of the world in the blockchain space was saying, regulations, why do you worry about that? Let's just take stuff and get to market. And folks were getting to market quick and making money and then losing people's money. And we chose to go a very different path here to tackle the core value propositions, the core challenges to finance. The problem was you couldn't sell that to Joe, an uninformed user. To fully appreciate what we had done, it required a very sophisticated buyer who frankly had the needs. And that was hard to find at first. So people in institutions were so afraid of blockchain, they would lump you in the category of the people who were just doing it fast, easy, who ignore the rules, et cetera. So it was hard to break through that. Fortunately, we connected with a real visionary in the space in Wisdom Tree, both visionary and a party who's experiencing an imperative. That world, the ETF world, asset management generally, is experiencing substantial fee compression. So new business models are actually required to survive in that world. And they saw that what ETFs have done to mutual funds in terms of being a more effective wrapper, they saw that tokenization of exposures would be the thing that would displace ETFs in the new market, but they needed the kinds of compliance tools that would protect their brand. And so they came in, they both invested, and actually we are releasing now the first of their tokens into the market. It's a quiet launch um, targeting a specific territory here in the US, but it's a brand new kind of asset in a tokenized form. It's available to the general public where they can benefit from the benefits of blockchain. So it's an exciting offering, but that shows that financial institutions can enter this space. Well, in supporting them, we were introduced to other major clients, U.S. Bank, State Street. And they saw, in terms of what we could do for Wisdom Tree, an opportunity to transform their bank back office and middle office functions through blockchain in the right way. So they've picked up on the sets of tools and infrastructure. And now we're finding repeat sales broadly across financial institutions who recognize you can do things much better much faster and much lower cost with blockchain solutions if you have the right tools and the right components built into it. So suddenly now we're, we've got a huge uptick of financial service customers. I mean, obviously we know how ETS work. Okay, interesting. So can we just go back to the Wisdom Tree example? I think that's really interesting. And in you say you're doing a, you know like a soft launch, but they're publicly traded securities. They can have obviously anything from gold to equities to bonds to what have you. So the underlying asset can vary. Like it sounds like you're creating the next thing. Can you just describe what you're actually tokenizing? So Wisdom Tree is bringing to market several exposures, a dollar-based exposure, a gold-based exposure, treasury exposure, and then others. They have a pipeline of anything that is an ETF 
can be brought into tokenized form. Thing is, Wisdom Tree's ETFs are very liquid. They're among the most liquid assets. So the problem that we're solving there is not a liquidity problem directly. Liquidity in the US markets, fantastic. Liquidity in the European markets, specifically in the UK, fantastic. They want global liquidity. You want their exposure to be able to trade, to be held by an investor in Singapore directly. And so there's very indirect channels by which a party might get to that asset. So problem number one is how do you do global distribution? To do global distribution, the asset needs to contain the compliance rules such that it can be properly handled in any one of these jurisdictions. You can't do that with legacy assets. Mm -hmm. Tokenized assets can actually make them smart. So they know what they're allowed to do in various jurisdictions. And so this creates the opportunity for global distribution, but just as important to the business model there and what we're doing with them as part of this release, they're using our core platform to blend the payments process with the investing process. So imagine that you have a position in treasuries, which is earning you better interest than you would get in your savings account, say. Mm-hmm. But you can convert, you can go to the Starbucks and buy coffee, converts from treasuries to cash automatically, directly as part of that conversion, and pays for your coffee over the Visa rails, just as an example. So that linkage you can do in tokenized form very efficiently as it makes a couple hops along the way and ultimately comes up in a traditional channel. Well, that experience where I can now take my investing component, normally I would have my account in, let's say, Schwab, I can't easily engage in a payment on this. You can see a neobank model where I can get better yields, I can have my money at rest, earning money for me, and I can still do payments like I would on normal payment rails. That creates a new asset management experience a new investing and banking experience made possible through the power of blockchain, a layer of compliance and a layer of interoperability that allows WisdomTree, an asset manager, to go direct to consumer instead of having to go through a series of intermediaries. Normally, they would only be able to touch somebody through their Schwab account. Right. That transforms their experience as well. And then there are other benefits in terms of the automation. For example, treasuries are frequently used as collateral in other transactions. Turns out through blockchain, collateral processes can be automated in a very efficient way for things like lending. So now, if that asset is in tokenized form, it can be used as collateral efficiently against lending, also in tokenized form. So you open up all kinds of new business opportunities in the new decentralized world for the assets that they traditionally couldn't have entered these channels. Right, right. That's super interesting. So I want to go back to the compliance layer because to me, that... that it seems incredibly complex. Like you just use the example of an investor in Singapore because every country has their own, you know, their own regulations of what you are and aren't allowed to invest in and the different investment opportunities that are made available. So you made it sound very simple. You just make it available globally, but we know Singapore is different to the UK, which is different to the US, and then there's 200-odd jurisdictions on the planet. So obviously it is finite, but it's also very... It's very large. So maybe tell us a little bit about, like, have you just taken maybe the top five markets and trying to kind of make them into, you know, you're not trying to boil the whole ocean, are you? It sounds intractable, doesn't it? (laughs) It sounds difficult, that's for sure. Maybe not impossible, but difficult. It is difficult for even the best global financial institutions to control right now. 
In fact, it is intractable for many financial institutions in order to do this. But the principles are actually fairly straightforward, which we'll articulate here in short order. And then we'll go into a little bit more detail in terms of how we do this. The basic principle always comes down to this. There is an asset. There are certain rules for handling of that asset. Let's just say it's a U.S. Reg D offering. There are specific rules as to who might be qualified to handle this. Similarly, let's say it's in the UAE. For an exempt fund, there are specific rules as to who can handle it and what they must do associated with that asset. So tied to the asset and the jurisdiction under which it was launched, there's a series of rules that apply for that asset. Similarly, for an investor. So investors enter the financial ecosystem through an intermediary. So a broker, for example, or a bank has a responsibility of knowing their customer, extracting as part of the process their qualifications. So are you an accredited investor? Are you a professional deemed investor? You know, these are different jurisdictions definitions of what's required to perform certain types of financial transactions. So brokers gather that information. We call these attestations about a party. They also gather suitability tests, et cetera. This is universal. Everyone has some form of these tests. The attributes are different. That is the specific, in the US, it's called a credit investor. The means by which you obtain that attribute is different, but the qualification is actually very easy to express. So now I can tie to a wallet a set of attestations. So I know the owner of this wallet. I don't need to know his name or her name. I can attach the attestations. Those are the qualifications as signed by a licensed financial institution to that wallet. And now when that wallet engages in a transaction, receives a token, sends a token, places an order, I can evaluate those qualifications against the qualifications necessary to engage in a transaction with the asset. So what we do is we take a token as a very straightforward thing. Everything that it does, it does through a smart contract. And now for every one of those things that it does, you can attach a policy. The policy is the following rules apply for this to occur. The policies are really where the gem is here. The means by which we take regulatory policy and encode them in a machine-readable form that allows me to do what's known as pre-trade compliance is the secret sauce. Mm. So I'm able to take the regulations, and it sounds super complex. It turns out it's not that hard to take U.S. Reg D rules, U.S. Reg S rules, U.S. Reg CF rules, UK rule sets, the Australian rule sets associated with small investors, each one of those are quite tractable. Now, what we do is we find those. The smart contract consults with the required rule sets prior to allowing the state change to occur. Those recipes are generated by law firms, and we have an easy drag and drop mechanism where you can actually create these rule sets. Once a rule set is used and becomes precedent in a jurisdiction, the next party simply comes along and says, I've got a Reg D asset. I want to attach the Reg D rules. My lawyer checks to make sure they're right. Off we go. So you're able to create this repeatable use of automatically enforcing rules that govern peer-to-peer transactions. It will decide whether my wallet is able to conduct this transfer to your wallet based on the nature of me, the nature of you, and the nature of the assets that are involved in the transaction. Sort of a long description. There's a lot of detail behind this. That was right. the four-year process that we were talking about. 
But the yeah. end result now is parties can enter a global liquidity pool via any broker. All the broker's really doing is tagging wallets with attributes that they are allowed to assign. And once that's done, now you and I can trade peer-to-peer and the rules are being enforced from the assets that have entered the ecosystem. Do you actually go and enable new jurisdictions or do new jurisdictions come to you to try and use kind of your code to use your system? Which way does it go or is it both? So it's issuers. Issuers are looking for the benefits of tokenization, the broad benefits of tokenization. Who want to bring their assets in? And one of two things will be true. Somebody's already encoded these. Do you like them? Or we got to encode these together. That's when we would work with the legal team and the legal team can take and encode up those rule sets, typically for a fee. We're working on the whole monetization model where a legal team can actually generate these and when they get used, you get paid mm. in order to simplify things. It's not eliminating the responsibility of the issuer to properly identify the rule sets. But here was our experience as a private company prior to this. We would go around and talk to five different law firms and get 10 different answers <laughs> as to what the rule sets were. When you actually have repeatable, testable rules, and, and these rules, you know, again, you, you have to take my word for it. A regulator can actually come in and test the rules and see, yep, I'm going to run this scenario. Did it block this transfer? Yep. And we've actually done these experiments with regulators. And, you know, in the best case, they can endorse the rule sets in a slightly, they can at least know action in the rule set. And then you can simply have precedent where 100 people use this before me and it seemed like it was okay. You know, so there's varying levels. Regulators typically don't say, yeah, that technical solution is good. In some jurisdictions, they will. But in any case, the issuer has the tool set where you at least can see and test on your own what has been used previously. Right. You're not left with that question of exactly how do I interpret this? How am I going to go to the market with this? It gives very verifiable and testable components, which can be combined. Right, right. So then let's just sort of go through an example. I mean, I don't know what state your systems are in. Like I have a MetaMask wallet. Can I go and um, connect with the wisdom tree offerings that way and make an investment today? Or where? how does it work and where are you at in that process? In wisdom tree's soft launch of this product, it is a much more contained process through which they are, at least in these first phases, acting as the front door by which right. parties can do these assets. The system is set up in such a way that when they want to, they can open this up to other brokers who can register wallets. So imagine your MetaMask scenario. You've got a MetaMask wallet, you love it. Or you've got your Ledger Nano wallet, you think it's awesome. You work with a broker, the broker conducts KYC, or maybe they already know you, and they conduct the process, determine your qualifications. And as a licensed entity, they're authorized to write those attestations associated with your wallet. That's what we call the wallet registration service. Now, it didn't matter that they aren't hosting your wallet. As long as you've proved that you are the actual owner of that wallet, now you're free to engage in transactions associated with it peer-to-peer. And when the rule sets are applied, this token may only go to a wallet whose party has been KYC by a licensed entity, for example. It's like the simplest of all rules. It has the means to do it. So this is not central hosting. It's a very important point. Host however you like. You like your MetaMask wallet and think it's very creative and we happen to think it is and very innovative and very powerful. You can keep that. You can now interact with financial assets of any type from any jurisdiction 
according to whether or not you have the proper qualifications. Really interesting. I mean, obviously, we're at the top of the first inning, right? Where are we today as far as you know what is actually available? I mean, it sounds like you said like Wizardry want to be the gatekeeper. You go in, you know, through a traditional mechanism. It sounds like when will we be able to go through like our own wallets and connect some of these things? Let me start with where the world is not. So we have very fragmented capital markets. So there's certain really efficient markets like the U.S. equities market and you know lots of liquidity there. But that's separated from private. So public and private markets are separated. Debt and equity markets are separated. Crypto and non-crypto markets are separated. Settlements, securities, and payment legs are separated in this. And all of this amounts to T plus two settlement in the best of the markets, T plus 30 and worst. And if you want to get to global scale, not even close, right? We have the framework for a unified global liquidity pool. So we have the framework, the pieces in place to make this possible where any asset from any jurisdiction can sit in the pool such that any party who's qualified may engage in a transaction with that asset. We have the basic ecosystem to enable a global liquidity pool. However, one step at a time in terms of (laughs) how you unlock the capabilities. The technical capabilities are there. We're now engaging in the process with our clients of opening up this liquidity pool in such a way that, again, first thing that we determined was necessary, unlike many in the space, We've done tokenization. Lots of people have tokenized things which aren't by their nature liquid. Like in other words, they don't have sufficient data. If I'm going to buy a piece of real estate on an openly trading market. I better have enough information so that I know that I'm not the sucker who bought the piece of real estate or an interest in a real estate that just was overrun by mold. Well, how are you to know that? You know, if you don't know that, why are you trading in the asset? And so fundamentally, the things that people have tried to tokenize or that they have tokenized are not the kinds of places where you want to start if you want to create a liquid market. Where you want to start is high-quality assets that are easy to price, such that institutions can park their value there and engage in other transactions from that spot. And that's where we're unlocked with Wisdom Tree. It will spread out to our other clients as well. Are you ignoring the crypto space as far as all, all the assets that are there? It obviously was worth $3 trillion not, uh, not that long ago. What's your perspective on tokenizing digital assets? In general, we love crypto. It's not our focus area. It is an important form of value. So when I talk about a global liquidity pool, you better have crypto in it. That would be a silly oversight on this. So what we believe is with proper controls, you can trade crypto, you can trade utility tokens, you can trade securities, you can trade commodities, you can trade debt instruments, you can trade a private asset, you can trade a individual piece of art, anything in a pool, as long as you have the proper um, controls in place. And that's what we're targeting here. We are not fans of the way that the crypto market has evolved with respect to their delivery of what we would consider to be securities. And we think we've been proven right over the past um, six months regarding this. So for example, when someone is engaging in a lending protocol, The extent to which a party's deposited assets are encumbered is actually a regulated activity. There should be reporting requirements against the extent to which I can withdraw and be assured that there is sufficient reserves for me to withdraw. There are rules for this, and there should be rules for this. The fact that so many people are doing this outside of regulatory frameworks, 
There are some great offerings to be sure. There's some bad offerings. What you don't want is every investor to have to be a smart contract code auditor. That's a terrible model. People get taken advantage of in that framework. So we've always believed in treating these things as regulated assets, which means there are sufficient controls and accountability associated with this that people are held accountable when things go wrong in this model. That's the minimum set of requirement. But in order to do that, we would say we don't want the slow speed compliance rules that don't scale globally that are characteristic of the legacy financial services. So if we can automate that, why can't we do all of these as efficient securities that trade in a global pool where there's proper accountability? So we're heavy on that. And again, each one of these events is like, see, I told you so. (laughs) Right. Okay. Okay. So I want to end with a two-part question. You've kind of done it a little bit, but I want you to paint a vision of how this sort of tokenized world will work in reality. And then what are the challenges that need to be overcome for that vision to become reality? The vision here is that ultimately, any party globally should be able to have access to sophisticated financial services that are highly reliable. That's the the envision. In order to, to make that possible, and by efficient, this means automating many aspects of the processes. So our partner banks, State Street, U.S. Bank, they are determined to retool their back office and middle office functions to make them much more efficient. And we're working in depth with them on those types of challenges. Let me give you an example. Tri-party collateral is a great tool. It's common across every major financial institution. And typically, you have a tri-party collateral process that will hold treasuries. Those are repo processes. A party that will do some alternative asset. So maybe this is for mortgages. It'll be for another component. Those are all implemented in individual systems separately. Through smart contracts, and our particular contribution here is composability, I can take those individual financial processes and bind them together to give you a fully automated bank back office and middle office with compliance built into it. When you can do that, suddenly you can bring the most sophisticated processes to any user anywhere at a scale that's not currently achievable in legacy systems. We're determined to do that, but it starts with tokenization of assets. That's Mm -hmm. step one. Next component, of course, you can see is the compliance that follows along with this, then composable financial processes, and then easy a global network of, we call them verification agents, other people would call them banks or brokers or any other party who has sufficient compliance processes to be able to onboard parties. All of those parties come into the global financial pool, the global universal liquidity pool. And those are the challenges we're working to overcome. Regulatory consistency, reliability is an obstacle. So an informed regulator is our best friend. So we're able to work closely with with regulators and show them that their concerns are valid. Nobody's saying there shouldn't be, well, nobody from our camp is saying there shouldn't be regulators. They're performing an essential function. And every time people step outside of regulatory boundaries, you get a Terra event or some other horrific event that occurs. Stay in those boundaries. The rules are there for a good reason. What we need to show regulators and what we do show regulators is that not only can we meet those standards, we can exceed them. We can automate such that they have greater oversight of the activities that are going on. But if they don't understand the technology and give you a blanket no, it doesn't matter if you can do it better. 
So we need to take the time. We invest heavily in training, teaching regulators, showing the possibilities, and making sure that they recognize that this isn't a lower standard, it's a higher standard. That's been a big barrier. We've had to invest in heavily. Okay, well, we'll have to leave it there. I really appreciate you coming on the show, Dan. That was a that was a fascinating conversation. And uh, you've obviously done a lot of work already and there's so much more to be done. So anyway, best of luck. You know, the currency is really the first company I've come across that I feel like hasn't shied away from any of the big challenges here. And in fact, what uh, Dan said after we stopped recording is, is yeah, we, we've gone in depth into the really hard things. You know, that's talking about the compliance piece. I've often seen the, you know, the DeFi community paint a picture kind of like what Dan described there, but there's always been the missing piece and that's been the compliance piece and how you're going to do this in a borderless way that regulators are going to be comfortable with. And I feel like this is the first time I've have really had articulated to me anyway, a system that is borderless that also checks all the boxes on compliance that regulators can be comfortable with. And so I think they've done a tremendous amount of hard work already. There's much more hard yards ahead, but you can really see, at least I can see now, there's light at the end of the tunnel where we will be able to operate in a world like many people have described that I think will be a fantastic thing for investors, for consumers, for small businesses, for governments everywhere. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye.